The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks are trying to build on yesterday's late-day momentum after Tuesday's historic sell-off. T-minus 19 hours on what could be the first nationwide rail strike Since the early 1990s, it could bring the U.S. economy and its fragile supply chain to a screeching halt. Russian President Vladimir Putin and China's Xi Jinping meeting face-to-face today for the first time since the invasion of Ukraine began. Plus, hands-on with the new iPhone 14, the model our CNBC tech team says you should buy now if you're due for an upgrade. And then later on, the billionaire, who is giving away his entire company in the name of what he says is his one and only shareholder, Planet Earth. It's Thursday, September 15, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off your Thursday morning with U.S. equity futures right now somewhat muted. A day after the markets yesterday saw a major average move to close slightly higher after the historic sell-off that we saw on Tuesday. Right now, the Dow implied higher by just about 44 points. The S&P up by two in the Nasdaq four. So we'll call it fairly flat, but stable. Checking on the Treasury side of things, interest rates triggering a lot of that move in the wake of inflation data. Right now, we are seeing yields tick higher. For the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note, the yield there, 3.45%. The two-year note yield, just a hair above 3.82%. And the 30-year long bond, right at 3.5% right now. In the oil market, we are seeing some moves there as well. And you can see right now, the moves are to the upside, at least for U.S. benchmark WTI prices. West Texas Intermediate up about 18 cents, roughly one quarter of 1%. $88.66. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, up about a quarter per barrel, $94.37. Again, just about one quarter percent gains there. So a little bit of stability in many parts of the market right now. Let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trading in Europe. For that, we go to our Juliana Tattlebaum standing by, standing by in our London newsroom with the latest there. Good morning, Juliana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Well, let's kick off with Asia. We saw Chinese equities underperform overnight. The Shanghai Composite pulling back about 1.2 percent after the central bank in China left interest rates unchanged. Outside of China, though, we did see some green overnight. Hang Seng in Hong Kong gaining about four-tenths of a percent. Nikkei 225 also making some ground higher, gaining about 0.2 percent. Similar move higher in Australia. Here in Europe this morning, we've also got some green signals that the majority of Markets are trading higher. Zetra DAX up about a quarter of a percent. The real outperformer here alongside the UK is the Spanish market. IBEX 35 up half a percent. We've got a strong bid for the Spanish banks this morning after the government said it is open to modifying a proposed bill on a windfall tax 
on banks. So that is providing some support for the Spanish banking sector. We've got the Italian market also trading higher by about a quarter of a percent this morning. And in the energy space, we are keeping an eye on Shell. We've got to news around the new CEO. The company will be taken forward by the renewables chief, something that we've been looking out for uh, over the last several weeks. Dom, back over to you. Juliana Tattlebaum, live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Dom, good morning. Oil giant Shell announcing this morning its CEO, Ven Van Burden, will step down at the end of this year after nearly a decade at the helm. The company appointing Whale Savin as its next chief executive effective January 1st. Savin currently serves as Shell's director of integrated gas, renewables and energy solution. The news follows reports earlier this month that Shell's board had met several times in recent months to draw up plans for Van Burden's departure and to interview potential successors. Disney CEO Bob Chapek says he is considering merging Hulu with Disney Plus, creating a single online option for streaming the company's content in the U.S. Any merger between the two services, however, would require the company to buy one third of Hulu, which is owned by CNBC parent Comcast. The two companies have an agreement for Disney to acquire Comcast stake in 2024. Chapek says it could happen earlier. And California is filing a lawsuit against Amazon, alleging it violated antitrust laws by blocking price competition on its website and pushing up prices for consumers. The state's attorney general says Amazon's rules bar merchants from selling products at lower prices on their own websites and has effectively created a price floor for everything, Dom. All right, Sylvana Hinao with the latest headlines there. Thank you very much. You got it. We've got a quick market flash. Ethereum completing its merge earlier this morning, marking the largest and most ambitious software upgrade in the crypto world to date. Among other things, the upgrade is set to reduce Ethereum's energy consumption and carbon footprint by an estimated 99%. Right now, cryptocurrencies, generally speaking, up. Bitcoin prices 20,143 up about one and a quarter percent. Ethereum prices just about $1,602 per token, up about three quarters of one percent there. When we come back on the show, the clock is ticking on what could be the country's first nationwide railroad strike since the early 1990s. And now Congress is getting involved. We've got a live report from D.C. coming up straight ahead. Plus, President Putin and President Xi meeting for a face to face for the first time since Russia's invasion of Ukraine began. It's also the first time she has left his country in more than two years amid the virus pandemic. Atlantic Council's Fred Kemp is here on what it means for investors. And later on, hands-on with the new Apple iPhone 14, the newest features and how it stacks up to the phone that you may be holding in your hand right now. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. 
But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange to the United Kingdom now. And hundreds of thousands expected to visit Westminster Hall over the next several days as the Queen's coffin lies in state ahead of the funeral on Monday. CNBC's Tanya Breyer joins us now from London. Tanya. Yes, good morning, Dominic. I'm at the Albert Embankment just across the River Thames here from the Houses of Parliament. And as you can see behind me, there is a queue of well-wishers and mourners who are heading to Westminster Hall to pay their final respects to Queen Elizabeth II. The queues are about 2.9 miles at the moment, and they will expand along uh, today. And of course, as they go past, they'll have to go across the bridge, back over Victoria Gardens and into Westminster Hall. The mood here is very calm, it's very respectful, and I've spoken to a few members of the public here who are queuing up, who all say it is so important for them to go and say their final farewell and pay their respects to a queen who has reigned here in the United Kingdom for 70 years. Tanya, I wonder, as you talk to the folks that are out there waiting in line, is there a sense right now that when they do move on and, and, and get to see the, the, the queen lying in state, that they will feel that sense of closure? Or, or, or do you think that there's still an, an attachment that many of the citizens there have and, and, and maybe in mourning for quite some time now? You know what, Dominic, I think the biggest reason why lots of them are here is they do want that sense of closure. They want to pay respects to the Queen. They've all admired her so much. And of course, they understand that King Charles III, who has already taken over, needs their support. And the support is there. They will be mourning the Queen for a long time to come. But of course, the transition has already taken place. And when King Charles has been greeted by the crowds. It's been with warmth, with support. They want him to succeed. All right. Tanya Breyer with the latest there on Queen Elizabeth II. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We now have some breaking news. We've spoken about the looming railroad strike that could be threatening America and its economy. We now have a statement from the White House and the Biden administration. They are saying that they have reached a tentative agreement Possibly tentative agreement reached tonight, an important win for our economy and for the American people. They call it again, an important win for the economy and the American people. This is according to a White House statement by President Joe Biden on a tentative railway labor agreement. We will have more on this coming up at 530. But right now you can see the futures moves again, somewhat stable and muted. However, some of the big rail operators like Union Pacific, CSX, others are kind of moving a little bit fractionally higher on this news in the pre-market trade. Again, we'll keep an eye on Union Pacific, CSX, Norfolk Southern, and others. We'll keep it right here. Still on deck for the show, no electric vehicle or hybrid option here as Ford unveils an all-new Mustang. That and your other top trending stories when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. Today's big number, $35 billion. That's how much Deutsche Bank expects the total addressable market will reach in the space sector by 2030. 
That would represent a more than 335% jump from this year. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Time for something random but interesting. For that, we send it over to our own Brian Sullivan for RBI. Time now for your morning RBI. And today's going to be kind of a quick one because we just got to talk about one thing, and that is stocks and the really tough year it's been for tech. Most of the big cap tech names are down this year. You know that. And you probably care about the biggest of the big, the names you know, the names you may own, and the ones that really control the market. Of course, it's Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and to a lesser extent, Facebook. Yeah, they had a decent day on Wednesday, but Tuesday's collapse just piled on to big-time losses this year. And that's not editorializing, because we can show you something that may blow your mind about how bad this year has been. This is the combined loss of market value for Apple, Amazon, this group, right, from their 52-week highs, and it's nearly $3 trillion, trillion with a T. Now, I know that seems impossible. We're talking about just five stocks, but it's true. Here's the math. Microsoft has lost the most total value, down $672 billion from its highs. It's down $100 a share in a year. Facebook, about the same in total loss. Facebook was, or Meta, was a $380 stock about a year ago. Now... Just at 150, basically wiping out three years of gains. Amazon has lost 573 billion for investors since topping out last November, around 188 a share. It's about a buck 27. And Apple and Alphabet look comparatively good. They have quote only lost 476 and 464 billion each. Now add those up, carry the one. That is 2.8 trillion in lost market value. That's probably more value lost than the total value of most global stock markets. Oh, and those five names also control most of the big ETFs that you may also own. So if they go down, it's pretty hard, maybe impossible for the overall market to go up. And when they go down big like they did, they take a lot down with them. It's been a tough year and Tuesday made it even worse because one day Tuesday was responsible for nearly one fifth of that total loss. $489 billion in market cap lost in five companies in just a couple hours of trading. Now, that is random but interesting and painful. All right. Thanks, Brian Sullivan, for that RBI. Now, take a look what's happening with Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping. They're set to meet later on today at a regional summit in Uzbekistan, both arriving in country earlier this morning, as you can see here from the video. This marks the first time the pair will sit down face-to-face since the start of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's also the first time President Xi has left his country in more than two and a half years. Remember, China, zero COVID, that whole thing. For more on what to expect, let's bring in Fred Kemp, CEO and president of the Atlantic Council. He's also, of course, a CNBC contributor. Uh, uh, Fred, this is a big deal, and and the optics are, are not just massive in terms of the people involved, but also key in terms of timing. Take us through what exactly it means for these two superpowers, so to speak, to get together in the wake of Russia's seemingly 
at least failures on the war in Ukraine in the last couple of weeks? Thanks very much for that question. Uh, So first of all, let's not forget that Putin met ahead of the Olympics, uh, the Beijing Olympics with President Xi, uh, maybe three weeks before the military action, and essentially got the green light from President Xi. They signed an extraordinary joint statement, almost unprecedented, uh, talking about a no-limits relationship. Um, Now, this many months later, uh, it may be the most dangerous moment in the war, certainly the most dangerous moment in the war for Putin, and that makes it more dangerous for all of us There's a lot more talk about because he's been losing territory, because he's been losing so much ground around Kharkiv, around Kherson, so in the east and also in the south, uh, it's humiliating to Putin. How will Putin react to this humiliation? Will he ramp up the war? Will he use perhaps even WMD, weapons of mass destruction, a battlefield nuke? Uh, That's being talked about quite seriously in the Pentagon here in Washington at the moment. So I, I would call this the most dangerous moment in the war thus far for all of us. Uh, and this is a moment where uh, a meeting with Xi is crucial because you hope that the Chinese president is going to say to Putin, look, uh, this is a time to sue for peace. This is a time to pull back a little bit. Uh, but please, please don't turn to uh, your nuclear weapons. Over the last century, Fred, there's there's been a, a an evolution, right? It, the, the, the two global superpowers for the better part of the last half century have been the United States and Russia. And it's not just because of the military might of both of them. It was the economic influence. It was also the access to natural resources here in the U.S. and in Russia. Do you think there's an acceptance right now between President Putin and President Xi that China is now the only real superpower in the world left next to the United States, given the fact that we've seen such economic influence? Has that replaced the military side of things in your mind? You know, Certainly, uh, Russia is the junior partner in the relationship with China. But in a nuclear and military sense, Russia is still a superpower. In an economic sense, obviously, it's not, and and China is. So it's a much more complicated and complex world. But because of that, uh, Russia, which is uh, hurting badly from sanctions, needs someone to buy regularly its energy at high prices, which China is doing. China is absolutely crucial to Russia's war effort. Conversely, also, Russia is key to Xi Jinping. If Russia fails in Ukraine, if Russia is turned back in Ukraine, it also has uh, implications for China's uh, ambitions with Taiwan. Conversely, if uh, Russia is uh, successful, if the West quits helping Ukraine and Ukraine falls, it's also relatively good news for China from that standpoint for whatever uh, ambitions it has toward Taiwan. So there's there, there, there are global stakes here that are really not to be underestimated. Fred, is, is there a possibility? I mean, there is a possibility, uh, obviously, that, that this could happen. But right now, there hasn't been any real overt military support provided by China to Russia. Do you envision that that could be a, an evolution that we could see, that there will be a formal tie-up between President Putin and President Xi in the wake of this meeting, that maybe China will explicitly support China, not just by buying the oil, but also by selling arms and supplying arms to Russia for its battle with Ukraine? There certainly is uh, a China uh, propagandistic support for the Russian argument for the war, anti-NATO, uh, the West was responsible, 
And so that's very important for Moscow on the world stage. Uh, you haven't seen China overtly sending a lot of weaponry, but uh, you have seen China uh, empowering others to do so, whether it's North Korea or whether it's uh, Iran or whether it's others. The question at this point, this really crucial moment in the war for Putin, is whether in this meeting today, uh, and, and we may not know, the readout will make not, may not make it clear to us, will China double down on Russia and give Putin the support he needs to encourage him to continue? Or will it send a message saying, you know, at this point, it really is becoming counterproductive for us? Because don't forget, China's message to, on the world stage has always been protection of national sovereignty. If you take them at their word, they would not want Russia to change the national sovereignty of Ukraine. And so they're in an awkward moment where they don't want to abandon their ally. I don't think they will. They may even double down. But on the other hand, it really hurts them in terms of their own reputation, particularly in Europe on the, on the world stage. Uh, Fred, before we let you go, can we talk about the changing trajectories that we are seeing with regard to President Xi and President Putin? President Putin seems to be at least facing a little dissension in his country right now, especially with his close leaders and advisors, counselors to him. Meanwhile, President Xi in China seems like he's on a track to become one of the most powerful rulers in Chinese history, and that includes all the dynasties before him. What exactly is the disconnect and how do they reconcile that in the in the coming months and years? Well, there's it's a, such a fascinating question because uh, Xi Jinping is about to uh, be uh, crowned uh, for a third term and probably for life as China's leader. But he's doing with his economy slowing, with his covid policy having not worked, with his demographics not working and with his uh, uh, warrior uh diplomatic policy backfiring on the world stage. Both of them have slowing economies. Obviously, China, Russia's in a lot more trouble than China, but China's not doing all that well. On the one hand, you could say, well, they're not as strong as we thought, and, and, and these are two weakening countries in very different ways. But at times of weakening, they can be particularly dangerous because there may, may, may be a need for a, a nationalist lashing out in order to, to rally the forces. So uh, I, I don't know what we're going to hear out of this meeting. I, mean, I, I would study every tea leaf you can get a hold of today. Uh, but these are two countries determining the future, and it's going to be determined right now whether they stick together and whether uh, Putin can, uh, can salvage uh, something uh, for himself out of Ukraine. All right. Fred Kemp at the Atlantic Council with the latest there on China and Russia. Thank you very much. Still ahead on the show, a worldwide exchange exclusive with billionaire investor and legendary entertainment CEO Thomas Toll. His take on everything from stocks to crypto to the Fed and even more. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Stocks trying to claw back losses from Tuesday's historic sell-off as attention turns to next week's big Fed policy meeting. Breaking news, the U.S. reaching a tentative agreement with rail workers to avert a nationwide strike. We've got a live report from Washington coming up. And the billionaire who is giving away his entire company in the name of who he says is his one and only shareholder, Planet Earth. It's Thursday, September 15th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan. And here is how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Right now, equity futures are somewhat positive. The Dow's implied higher by just about 60 points right now. The S&P up by about five and the Nasdaq up by about nine points. It's not a lot, but it could at least for now seemingly get us a little bit more positive momentum that we saw at the end of trading yesterday when we moved out of negative territory to close modestly positive. On the yield side of things, interest rates obviously a big focus ahead of that big Fed meeting next week. The benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield currently just about 3.44%. The two-year note yield, 3.83%. So that inversion is still in play right now, so to speak. And the 30-year long bond, just a hair below 3.5% right now. Uh, If we hit oil prices, you will see some modest moves higher. It's been a little bit of a choppy trade. Now we're moving lower. $88.35, just about 13 cents lower for U.S. benchmark West Texas intermediate prices, down about two-tenths of one percent. One-tenth of one percent declines for seven cents to the downside, $94.04 for Ice Brent Crude, the world benchmark gauge for oil. Let's now also check on what's happening with cryptocurrencies. You heard of that Ethereum merge. It was completed successfully, so to speak. Bitcoin prices right now up about three quarters, almost one full percent, $20,079 per coin. And Ether prices now drifting below that 1600 mark, 1590 the last trade there, just marginally lower on the session. Now, if you take all of that into effect, check out what's happening right now overall with some of these moves that we're seeing in the rail companies. This is a breaking story just this morning in the last 10 or 15 minutes because the White House says the U.S. has reached a tentative agreement with rail workers to avoid what would have been a nationwide strike. Our own Elon Moy is now live with us from Washington with this late breaking news. Elon, we didn't get a lot of details, but the Biden administration claims that this tentative deal has been reached. Can you give us some more details on what it could involve? Well, Dom, President Biden is framing this as a win for the rail workers, a win for the rail industry, but most importantly, he says, a win for the American consumer. In that statement announcing the deal, he said the hard work done to reach this tentative agreement means that our economy can avert the significant damage any shutdown would have brought. Now, the industry had estimated that a rail strike could have cost the economy $2 billion a day. There have been 20 consecutive hours of negotiations. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh was meeting with both the rail carriers and the unions late into the evening yesterday. And he said this morning that uh, this agreement is a balanced approach that Uh, make sure that the workers, the industry, and the economy can all walk away with something. Now, just to put this in perspective, John, these talks have been going on since 2019. So clearly, these have been some intractable issues they've been working with. The deadline for them to reach a deal uh, before that strike could have happened was midnight tonight. And the sticking point was not really over wages. Under the agreement that an independent panel had proposed, uh, workers would have seen double-digit pay raises, $1,000 annual bonuses, retroactive to 2020. The real issue here was around sick leave. That's been something that the workers say they need more flexibility with, particularly in the wake of the pandemic. Uh, The independent panel that had proposed uh, a compromise had only given workers one additional sick day, uh, one additional paid leave day, I should say. And so we don't know from this statement how that is being addressed with the unions, whether or not they've come to an agreement over how much sick time they should have received. 
workers have been asking for as many as 15 paid sick days. So we'll see what some of those uh, details are and what the compromise actually is. But clearly, Democrats, Republicans, industry workers, everyone agreed that if this strike had occurred, it would have been an economic catastrophe. That danger, at least for now, Dom, looks to be averted. All right. It's, it's tough. And, and, and I don't want to become cynical because I, I understand that there are real consequences for the economy and whatnot. How much effort was being put into this and how much pressure was being brought to bear by the White House and even Congress? Congress may have acted if they couldn't reach a deal as well. Because we are now approaching that all-important midterm election season, the administration here for President Biden has to deal with this notion that America is still grappling with inflation. Is there a sense right now that this is front and center because it will be very much about the economic state of America when it comes to the elections coming up later on this fall? Yeah, I do think this was a priority, and you saw that with the lengthy negotiations yesterday led by, you know, top cabinet members within the administration. Democrats had largely left this up to the White House to negotiate and to handle. But it is also true, as you mentioned, Don, that Congress could have a role here. There's been some debate over the past 24 hours between Republicans and Democrats over whether Congress should sort of step in preemptively. Democrats had been resistant to that, saying over uh, the past day that they wanted to let this process play out and they were still optimistic that the two sides could come to an agreement rather than having Congress weigh in. But in the past, Congress has intervened multiple times in order to either prevent or to end a rail strike. Congress does have the power to force workers back on the job if they would have taken that dramatic step of shutting down the nation's rails. Elon Moy, live in Washington, D.C., with the latest there on the rail strike possibly averted. Thank you very much. Let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Well, a new lawsuit filed in San Francisco federal court is accusing Tesla of, quote, deceptively and misleadingly overstating the abilities of its autopilot and full self-driving features. The suit, which seeks class action status, also accuses Tesla chief Elon Musk of misrepresenting the driver assistance technology and making promises he cannot keep. Tesla owners often have to shell out thousands of dollars extra for these self-driving features. Samsung is shifting away from fossil fuels and is now aiming to be entirely carbon neutral by 2050. The company is a top global producer of smartphones, memory chip and displays, and by some estimates, the biggest energy consumer among the hundreds of companies that have joined the RE100 campaign, which aims to get 100 percent of electricity from renewable sources like wind or solar power. Samsung plans to invest $5 billion through 2030 on projects aimed at going green. And shares of Arconic under pressure, the aluminum giant trimming its full-year outlook, citing production issues and the European energy crisis. Executives are now targeting a revenue range of $9.2 to $9.5 billion from an earlier $9.6 to $10 billion. The company also highlighting that, quote, Hyperinflationary energy costs are driving increased cost pressures, are expected to have an increasingly negative impact on third and fourth quarter results, Dom. All right, Silvana Hinao with the latest headlines. Thank you very much. Back to the markets now and a sit down with billionaire investor Thomas Toll. Brian Sullivan spoke with the Toll co-founder and CEO, touching on a number of different topics, including his take on the market's steep sell-off that we saw on Tuesday. I think right now... The amount of complexity in the market, it's very hard to judge 
what's going to happen because we've never come out of a global pandemic before. There's a you know, land war in Europe. Uh, you know, China and the United States continue to be more adversarial uh, and obviously have massively intertwined economies. And, you know, you're watching the, the Fed try to pump the brakes on everything. And at the same time, if you go too far, you know, you're, you're going to make the markets uh, nervous and jumpy. And I think we saw that yesterday. Very nervous, very jumpy. Do you have faith in the Fed? I think they have an incredibly hard job right now. Uh, and I think that you have to take a step back and at least say, are the indicators that you have um, and metrics you've used to measure things for X decades, are those still as relevant as they used to be? But, you know, are they? Some, yes. I, th- I think there, there are some that are probably outdated. The velocity of things happening now is definitely different uh, than it used to be. But look, at the end of the day, there's also the sort of common sense side of this that says uh, families are having a hard time. Food prices are certainly up. That's clear. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. How do you see it playing out? I mean, you, you, you have a lot of money to invest. You invest in companies. We'll get to that in a minute. I mean, so you've got to pick your spots. So maybe you don't care about the whole market. You care about individual companies. But when inflation hits, it brings down valuations. It brings down multiples for everybody, including your companies. Yeah, and then I think what I have to ask is, do you still fundamentally believe in the business, in your model, in the management teams? And I, I think that's why... The aptitude of the management teams, the pliability that they have to manage through times like this, this this is when it matters. When everything's up through the roof and valuations are, you know, probably too high. Even uh, still? Yeah, it it depends on the sector. Things have become, in my opinion, so bespoke. I mean, to say the entire growth sector is bad, I don't think that's a very sophisticated view, right? Some growth is different than others. Are you profitable? You can't say that this time. (laughs) <laughs> yes. I think I've heard that, you know, I'll buy this whole group. Right. You're saying you got to you got to you got to be a, a surgeon. I, I, yeah, I think you have to be thoughtful and look at each situation. Um, but I think there are great companies that still deserve uh, investment. And you just have to, I think, ask more fundamental questions. When I'm sure people pitch you all the time. Thomas, I need your money. Tolco should invest in this. You've invested in figs. You've invested in Colossal, which more startups. Sandbox we'll get to. What's the first question that you either ask somebody who's asking you for money or you ask of the company itself or both? Well, you want to understand first fundamentally, what do you do? What problems are you solving? What are you doing differently? And then to me, I'm a huge believer in, in people, both the wrong and the, and, you know, and the right. Um, so once you convince yourself that, look, this is worthy of investment, the sector is right, this is a new and novel thing or a different way to approach it, usually there, there's certainly a technology component, is this the right team to shepherd this, this thing through? And so those are the, some of the things that I pay attention to. How many, how many companies do you turn down versus choosing to invest in? Certainly like a percentage, you would say, like 90% get whacked? Yeah, I'd say certainly over 80 percent, just because if you look at a lot of things um, and it doesn't mean that they're not great companies or might not become great companies. Mm -hmm. It just either philosophically or whatever 
the mission or thought is at that time, it doesn't it doesn't work. But, you know, you want to be you certainly want to be open minded. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I think your success is as much about what you passed on is what you did. All right. There's much more of that in interview with Thomas Tull and Brian Sullivan, the two touching on some of Tull's key investments, including software company Sandbox, AQ, and a big deal for that firm, his growing interest in cryptocurrencies and the path forward for relations between the U.S. and China. Just head over to CNBC.com for the contents of that full interview. Coming up on the show, hands-on with Apple's newest iPhones, the features that may make you want to upgrade right now or maybe wait another cycle or two. Look, she's... We're going to tease this by tweeting this out in just a bit. But first, as we had to break, Sophia Pitt doing some work here on the set for us. Some of your top trending stories. Walmart is launching a virtual fitting room to help shoppers see how clothes would look on them virtually. Customers can choose a model that resembles them in body type, skin tone, and hair color as well. They can try it on more than 270,000 items from Walmart's private brands, national brands like Levi's, Hanes, and Champion, or some items sold on its third-party marketplace as well. Ford is unveiling a redesigned Mustang for the model year 2024, featuring a hard top, soft top, and two gas-powered engines. No hybrid of electric options here. The car could be the final gas-powered muscle car to come out of Detroit ever. Better opt for the V8 if you want. And the billionaire founder of Patagonia is giving away his company, literally. Yvonne Chouinard is transferring his family's ownership of the outdoor apparel brand to a trust that will use its profits to help fight climate change. Patagonia, which is worth close to an estimated $3 billion, expects to contribute about $100 million a year to the trust, depending on the health of the Patagonia business. After informing its employees on Wednesday about this move, the company updated its website to state how Earth is now our only shareholder. Trending stories. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. All right, welcome back to the show. The reviews are in for Apple's iPhone 14 lineup, and the consensus, it's pro or bust. So let's find out why with CNBC's own Sophia Pitt, who spent plenty of time with the new device and the new devices, the numerous models. Sophia, I guess my big question to kick off this interview is I have an iPhone 11 Pro. It's nice. I still use it. I, 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 first of all, I keep phones for years. I mean, until they really just die. Do I want to upgrade this phone to the new 14? Tom, look at your camera on the back of your phone. Look at the camera. Yes, it, it's a pretty look good at the camera, camera on the new phone. It's a little bit of, of a difference. It, it is, but it's. I mean, it's not that. You still got the three lenses and everything else. So, what's so much different about this phone that I would want to spend? that much more money to upgrade this. So there are a few new innovative features on the iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max. I would not go for the base model. Um, The Pro Max has the dynamic island, which you can see here. It's like a blend between software and hardware where you can kind of like get interactive features with whatever you're doing. So you have like your little timer over here. Sorry, you can see it better now probably. Um, So that's really cool. It's different. It's, it's not like anything else that iPhone has come out with before. The camera's amazing. The chip processor is really fast. So there are noticeable differences totally. in terms of speed, the latency by which you kind of inter- enter apps or get out of apps yes. or swipe between things. The 100%. graphics are that much better. And the battery life is amazing. I actually used it from an all day, watching, streaming, 
Twitter, reading articles, and it didn't die until the next morning at 11. So, so how much more of that is an upgrade versus, say, the, the previous generation or what I have right now? Because I pretty much have to charge my phone every day. And Twice maybe kind of pro and pro users, yeah. right, will know that you can go to the battery health thing and settings. You can kind of see what the what the battery life is left on your phone. So, so this battery life could be a game changer for a lot of folks out there, especially business viewers who are on the road quite a bit or, or, or on planes or everywhere else, right? That, that's a big deal. Totally. And they've turned things up. There's this new thing called the always-on display. Um, as you can see, it's dark right now. Uh, that only uses like one hertz, so it doesn't use as much light as when the phone is actually on. So you can see kind of like all the notifications and the widgets on your phone without actually turning it on, which is nice. And it doesn't use nearly as much battery, which is great. As you said before, if you had the 13, I would not get the base model. So I wouldn't go and get the 14 or the 14 Plus, which hasn't come out yet. It's coming out on October 7th. But I would do the Pro or the Pro Max. There's really only one way to go when it comes to upgrading. So for you, I mean, you've spent a lot of time with this phone. What was the thing that stood out the most to you? I mean, you've been an iPhone user. I've had an iPhone since 3GS. Yes. I've seen every iteration basically out there. I've only bought about three or four of them in my life. Why did you want to buy that phone? So not only is the camera amazing, there's also this new ceramic shield on the front of the phone. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I've broken my phone a million times. I have to put the the sticker shield on And that's so ugly. Like it ends up getting dirty at the corners and it's just like not cute. So it comes with this new ceramic shield that makes it much more durable. Uh, The camera is really like the main reason why I use the iPhone. And you can't go wrong with the camera on the iPhone. I've tried all of the different... Samsung, Android phones, and the camera on this phone is just incredible. All right. So the endorsement from Sophia Pitt at CNBC.com. Yes, for the Pro and the Pro Max. Okay, for the Pro and the Pro Max. Thank you very much, Sophia Pitt, for Sophia's full review, by the way, of the iPhone 14 and all the various models that are a part of that process. Head over to CNBC.com. We've got the full contents over there. Like I said, Sophia spent a lot of time with this phone. She's broken it all down for you. Now, as we head out to break, a reminder, be sure to sign up for the most powerful investment conference and event of the year. It is CNBC's Delivering Alpha. It returns on September 28th. Just scan your QR code that you see on the screen there or go over to DeliveringAlpha.com to register. Delivering Alpha, September 28th in New York City. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Here's your agenda for the day ahead. We've got three economic reports of note. We've got initial jobless claims every week on Thursdays. You've got retail sales. That's going to be a big, important one. And the Philadelphia Fed Manufacturing Index. Those are all due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. We will also get, by the way, earnings from Adobe after the closing bell. We're also watching for news out of Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping's summit and meeting in Uzbekistan, China and Russia, right, today, as well as the streaming of the first regular season NFL game Thursday night football on Amazon Prime. It's the Los Angeles Chargers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. So a very big divisional rival game happening for the premiere of Thursday night football on Amazon Prime. Let's get more insight on the trading day ahead after yesterday's choppy session that saw the major averages climb out of red late in the day to peak their heads just above water by the close. Aaron Gibbs is chief investment officer at Main Street Asset Management. Aaron, we all know what happened with the massive sell-off. We're seeing a little bit of stability. Is this just the setup for another leg lower? Do we retest those lows that we saw, 
or can do we feel like this is the all clear signal for at least for now? Well, I think obviously Mar- yesterday's market action doesn't say, ah, we've completely put it past us. I, I think there's certainly a possibility for for more downside. Um, it's really all about the ten year, right? And and how people feel that, and that's you know that inflationary reaction. So. You know, as you mentioned, all the reports are coming out. If anything comes out that looks like the economy is running too hot, uh, is disappointing, um, indications that the Fed would raise rates and have that 10-year go even higher. And, you know, we're really looking for the yield on the 10-year to break above three and a half significantly and really go, you know, maybe three, six and possibly even four percent. And that could certainly push the markets down. Just because the valuations did get a little high-ish or higher uh, during the run-up during June and July. Uh, and so if we look at uh, where we were trading on just on a valuation basis uh, back when rates were 3.5% before, um, the market's about 14% higher on a valuation basis. So certainly anything where it, that pushes those yields up much higher um, you know, we could see another downside or, or retreat back to those those June lows in the equity market. Higher yields means cash is coming out of the economic system, the machine, so to speak, of the American economy. Does that then mean that recession is inevitable? It, it's certainly more likely. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we're really set up for for a recession at this point. Um, the amount that the Fed has to raise rates at this point, you know, we, we really do need to, to slow down. Now, now this, I think it's really more a question of, and not look, we're already in a technical recession. It's already happening. So is it a, a deep recession? Is it something dramatic? Or is it just three or four quarters where we still have unemployment below 5% and, and still you know, constant job growth? Uh, sure, uh, po- very possible. Um, for me, it's really about um, what, what is happening on the corporate side. Are we going to be able to see profit growth uh, going ahead, because right now, when we look at forecast um, and and the type of revisions that we've seen back down, you know, five percent profit growth, clearly below what we're running at inflation right now, um, really isn't attractive for for stock investors. Aaron, we've just got about ten fifteen seconds left. You have a top pick out there in your in your universe. Uh, so with all this this downturn, I'd say. Um, I really like Centene uh, Managed Healthcare. I think it's a nice, safe bet. And United Healthcare, another managed healthcare, um, both have done really well. Both in uh, you know the up periods and the down periods, just high quality names, and use those down days to to buy them on the cheap. All right, Aaron Gibbs at the call on Centene United Health. Thank you very much, Aaron. We appreciate it. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.